in about in about 1995, Jodie and I went to an Easter camp. We were leaders at that time, and we'd just been married. And uh, we had uh, some speakers there uh, from a Cape and Ray Bible School. I don't know if you know Cape and Ray, but it doesn't matter. New Zealand-based, but Bible school. Yeah, you know all about it, memory. I can see that. And um, the principal of the Bible school was there. His name was Jeff uh, Hogman, I think. And in one of his talks, he addressed something in me which had been a struggle because I'd been a Christian for a year and a half, two years. And the thing that I was finding is that I was looking down on other people for their sin and yet I couldn't stop what I was doing. Pretty good at it. And during one of the talks, he said this, you know what? A whole heap of Christians are going to die still trapped in their addictive sin and then go to heaven. Now, that might sound a bit funny. It did for me, and I had to think about it deeply. What's he going on about? Because I was thinking about everybody else, of course. We're looking at Romans 7 today, and I think this passage... um, is one of the most important passages for the Christian life that you can find. Um, We we know there's a lot of controversy over it. People will say this is Paul describing what it was like before he was a Christian. But now he doesn't have that problem. They they struggle with Paul saying things like he's a slave to sin. Uh, I'm going to address some of that along the way. It's not my main point, but it is important for us to see that it's Paul as a Christian. Regardless of anything, through the whole chapter, Paul says in the present tense, I struggle with this. He doesn't say, I struggled. I used to struggle. He just says, this is my current struggle now. Um, And if we were to change that to say something it doesn't say, then we could, well, we could change a lot of other tenses and make life a lot easier for us as Christians, couldn't we? Okay, but uh, that's just one of the points. I'll make some others along the way, but it's plain. Uh, because, and, and we all know we associate with Paul in this passage. The problem with... I haven't started reading it yet, I know, but we're starting at chapter 7, verse 7, is that in the previous chapter, Paul said, you've been set free from sin. He also said, sin shall have no dominion or mastery over you. So obviously we shouldn't sin anymore. Yeah. But in the middle of that same chapter, Paul also gave a command. Do not let sin reign over your mortal body. What would be the point of making a command, do not let sin reign over your mortal body if you've already mastered sin? Do you understand what, what the, what, what's, the, what's the point? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to look at it like this. This is how I take it. It's a rough analogy. It's, a, it's messy and it's full of holes. Who won World War II? The Allies. Allies had victory in World War II. Do we know that's true? And if you could ask most people around the world, they'll say the same thing. Victors in World War II were the Allies. Correct? They won the war. What did that victory look like? I watched the thing on Pearl Harbor the other night. Do you think the soldiers, when they were being attacked by Pearl Harbor, were going, yeah, we're the victors? What did the war look like? It was a mess. When? Pretty much from start to finish. It was hard work, hard slogged out, but we know who wins. 
don't we? We know, we, know, we know the winner. What I'm saying is this. We can proclaim with absolute certainty, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been set free from sin, and sin shall have no dominion or mastery over us. But what does this look like as Christians now? It looks like a war. There's not dead bodies lying everywhere, but I tell you, it feels like a war a lot of our lives. If you disagree with me now, just say, I'd put your hand up. Is that what it feels like to you, the Christian life? It's hard. So I think that this is probably one of the most practical and helpful passages in, in, in the New Testament. Not the one, but one of the ones in, in helping us with understanding the war that goes on with us, the war between the sinful nature and the Spirit of God. Okay, so starting at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said thou shalt not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the war, from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Now Paul begins with the heart of the problem about the law. The law highlights our sin and when we hear a law, we tend to be people who jump to disobey it. We kind of are rebels, you know. Don't tell me what to do. I remember when we also, this is before we were married, we were going out. We used to go because we, we were kind of, well, yeah, we were going out, we were engaged, and we used to go to seminars. They had seminars in those days all the time. How far should you go before you be, got married? You know, that sort of thing. You know, as, should you hold hands? Could Christian couples hold hands? Should they kiss? Should they? And, and, and they were always, they, they'd often on a backboard draw a list of going right, and then they'd draw a line. All right. You draw a line for me, I'll cross it. It doesn't matter where it is. Yep, I was always holding Jody's hand. But it's natural. When you draw a line, you'll want to jump over it. Yep, don't tell me what to do. And the sinful nature has this inbuilt rebellion. So verse 10, he said, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So sin is full of deceit. It promises happiness. It brings pain. It promises fulfilment. It brings insatiable desires. It promises life. But the result of disobedience to the law is death. Now Paul here is speaking of sin. And this I don't know if you picked up on it. Sin seizes the opportunity. It's like sin's over there and I'm over here. Actually, throughout this passage, he does that. He's, he's, he's saying, sin's not part of me. It's, it's an outside force. Only a Christian could say that, by the way. Because to us who have been uh, born again. But it's like, do you know what? Um, it's, it's like, he says, it's about to spring on you like a lion. Remember when God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to have you. It, it, it's, uh, it's a... Now, is this Paul... Not taking the blame. Look, it's not me, it's sin. (laughs) 
It wasn't me. The sin did it. That sounds like a great excuse. And in a minute, as I said, he'll say, it's no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. Well, that's very convenient, isn't it? Yep, the the sin did it. Now, but it's this. The Christian who's born again has a new nature. We belong to God. Christ is in us. We have the hope of glory. But we also, until the day we die, will have this old nature who is kind of with us. A sinful nature. And so we have a dual desire within us. Before becoming a Christian, you only have one nature. The sinful nature. Afterwards, though, there is a a different power at work within us. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is driving us. And we know that ultimately, from the time we became a Christian, we will win this war. We will master it. What I'm saying is, the war that Paul's speaking here could only occur in a Christian. You go and see a non-Christian and say, are you sad about the things you're doing? They'll go, uh-huh, I'm enjoying it. True? Yep. Okay. So Paul, you think about it, if this was Paul talking about before he was a Christian, what was he doing before he was a Christian? He was persecuting the Christians and having them put to death. Was he saying at the time, I know I shouldn't kill Christians, but I just, this other man in me makes me want to? No. Before he was a Christian, he was very happy killing Christians. True? So it has to be talking about after, because that's when the Holy Spirit was given to him, then the struggle began. I hope that makes sense to you. Yep. Okay, so in verse 12, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, saying on, the disobedience of the commandment didn't kill me. Why? Because it is outside of me, and I have a new man, and I am a new man. By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognised as sin, it used, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might be utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. The law is right, the law is good, the law is spiritual, and to the person who has the spirit, that's what they believe. And it shows up the sinful nature for what it is. The law is always showing us right and wrong. If you haven't actually come to the place of despair, when I say despair, I mean despair with yourself, then probably... Well, someone should tell you the truth. Christians are painfully aware of their sin. Yeah? Sometimes it brings frustration. Sometimes it makes you want to punch yourself in the leg. Sometimes despair. Sometimes you actually despise yourself. The self-loathing, I don't know. It's more self... You're loathing the sinful nature. You're not loathing yourself. It's different than that. We kind of... And I'll talk more about love and hate in a minute. But um, we despise because we know that sin is not natural. It's not right. And we know it doesn't fit with God's law. And, and that's that. So now Paul carefully describes what this internal war, war feels like in his inner being. How does, this, how does this look? Verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do, 
what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. I don't want to do it, so obviously the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not... For I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Who here thinks that God's law is good? Right, that's good. Who struggles to obey? Yeah. Who wonders why that we don't do what we know is good? Yes. Be encouraged, Christian people. You have the Holy Spirit. It's exactly, actually, Paul, it's a very long chapter in Galatians 5, where Paul's talking about life in the Spirit. He puts this whole chapter down into one verse. We could just read that verse and then we'd have to do, make it a lot easier. But he says this, Galatians 5, 17, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. There's a butting of heads between the Spirit and the sinful nature all the time. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. That's a much easier way of saying it. He could have just summed it up like that, but he thought he's getting older and he's preached a lot more and he, and he just thinks that this is better to say. But that's clearly, Paul, speaking of the conflict between the spirit and the flesh or the spirit and the sinful nature. Verse 18, he says, For I know that, the, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Can you see that? There's one part of me that's, that there's no good in, but there's another part that there is. It causes this thing in me, I love and I hate. Because that's the problem we have. I love sinful pleasure. I hate sinful pleasure. Yeah? I, I love selfishness. I hate selfishness. I love to put my security in the treasures of this world. I hate the treasures of this world and the false security they bring. I love to be powerful over others. I hate what power over others does to me. I want to be strong in myself. I hate that. I want to be strong in Christ. I love gossip. I hate it. I hate getting drawn into it. Is that what your life looks like? We can't we can say, I love the law of God, I know it's right, but it's tasty not to do it. What's Paul telling us? Well, I think he's telling us we're normal, normal Christians. I'll say it again. Non-Christians, they have, I love sinful pleasure, I love selfishness. I love the security of the treasures of this world. I love to gossip. I love power. I love to be strong and so on. Now, verse 20. If I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I, but the sin living in me. Again, sin is like this unwanted guest, this imposter. So, in verse 21, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In my inner being, not my sinful nature, but my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another work at law. Sorry, I see another law at work in me, waging war within the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin 
at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will save a a wretch like me? That's what he's saying. Well, amazing grace. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a rescuer and it's Jesus Christ. And he is the only answer. Do you notice this? Paul talks about all the struggles we have in our ongoing lives. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if you're thinking now of something you struggle with. Maybe you could. But maybe, maybe, maybe you know, just say, we use the word gossip, because I just used that before. I, I just realised recently just how much I love gossip. That's probably why I'm talking about it. So don't think I'm talking about anyone else. But imagine then... I talk about gossip and I keep doing it even though I hate it and I delight in God's law which says don't do it. So here's what you've got to do. Stop thinking these thoughts. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Do this. Think about, say positive things. Blah, 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 blah. That's not what Paul does. He doesn't finish with how to. Can you see that? Whatever the sin is we struggle with, he finishes with the overcoming who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God. Who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord? That's his only answer. That's after all this struggling with sin, he just says, Look, this is what it's like. It's horrible. We do this. We're always messing up. We blah, 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 blah. No, thanks for Jesus. It's not dismissive like that. Thank you for Jesus because he is all we have. Can you see that? Yes, we've been saved and forgiven and cleansed by Jesus and washed when we've come to new life. But also, he is the one who ongoingly, if that was a word, rescues us from sin and death. Yes, these sinful desires exist in my mind and heart as imposters, but guess who else lives in my innermost being? Jesus Christ, who has cleansed me from all sin. My life is hidden in him, so I have his perfection. And if I struggle with sin, I might scheme to overcome it. I might fail. I might struggle again. But the truth is, when we look to Jesus, he has defeated that sin in our lives already. And there is no greater joy, in fact, there is no other joy, but simply trusting in Jesus in this. When am I talking about trusting in Jesus in this? When we're in this cycle where we keep falling, where we keep sinning when we don't want to, when we love doing God's law and we've just read a particular... Do you ever read a passage of scripture and then walk away and do that very thing? Well, at that moment, Jesus Christ is the one we need. Do you get what I'm saying? We need him at every moment. Who can rescue us from this wretched state? He can, and that trust is an ongoing trust as we fix our eyes on him. So then he can immediately say... So then, sorry, he finishes the chapter with a sum up. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, links what we've just done. Yeah? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do what? Who are in Christ Jesus. And who don't add anything to that. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh or the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. 
And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The righteous requirements of the law, that's that's talking about complete obedience to all of God's law, is fully met in us through Jesus Christ. And we live in Jesus Christ. And when we live in him, we obey in his perfect obedience. And when we disobey, that is an imposter. That is not us. It's, and therefore, we turn back to Jesus and we keep going. And what do we look to? Jesus. Or, or you make a New Year's resolution and when you fail at that, then look to Jesus. <laughs> you understand? Yeah? Because it is only he who has done away once and all for all with the sinful nature because, as we said last week, he crucified it. We were crucified with Christ. He didn't just take our place. He took us with him into it. So to live by the Spirit is to live in the constant knowledge and power that all the goodness we have is always found in Jesus alone. And we learn to live connected to him. John 15 says, remain in me. When do we remain in him? During the war. Because there's only one victor for this war. And that's not us. It's Jesus Christ and us hidden in him. Can you see? It's him who is the victor. He is our Lord and Saviour and sin will not reign over him. Freedom will and he gives us his freedom. I hope this is helpful because this is really, really important for us who struggle with this in our everyday life and we need him at every moment. It's it's not simply Jesus saves us. Jesus saves us in the present tense and he goes on saving us and, and all that we have is always in him. I'm going to pray. Father, we've spoken about things today which sum up our lives and we just want to confess to you that when it comes to your law, we've fallen short. We haven't accidentally obeyed. We've deliberately obeyed, uh, disobeyed your law. We've deliberately gone against you. And we hate the sin that we do, Father. We love you. We love your law. And we're so thankful for Jesus who's rescued us from this body of death. Father, I pray that you would renew in us a heart that says, I need you every hour, every moment. You're everything to me. And I pray, Father, that we would see our lives right here in Romans 7 and that you would give us a great encouragement and great joy and freedom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.